Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this week's UFC main card. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your hosts, Bloody Elbow fight analysts Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Vivisection with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. That's me! <laughs> God. You dying or pooping? Which one which one was that? Usually they go hand in hand, Zane. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You plan to go out like the king himself. <laughs> that's how everybody goes out, all right? Don't kid yourself. That's how you're going out too, pal. <laughs> Anyway, still alive. Pooping, mm-hmm. the jury's out, but I am still alive. All right. We're here talking this week about UFC Saudi O, o not Arabia. Oh. <laughs> Saudi. <laughs> oh, my mistake. <laughs> Saudly not happening abroad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The UFC tried to pitch a card to Saudi Arabia featuring regional misc, like... Oh, yeah, some of these guys are from, like, Russia and Poland and whatever, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. they're Muslim, so... Some of yeah. them, anyway. <laughs> like, three of them are Muslim. <laughs> yeah. That'll be enough to make you guys happy, right? You guys love that whole oh, Muslim man, maybe thing. That's, maybe that's it. I, we were just talking about this, and I was I really thought it was kind of impressive that, like, the Sauds were discerning enough as fight fans mm-hmm. that like unlike every other international venue that has ever just greedily opened up their mouths for whatever slot the UFC wants to dump into them. Yeah. They, they actually had the wherewithal to say, actually this card is bad. We would like a good one, please. Yeah. So maybe they just want more Muslim guys. No, they, they real they want legit. Like, you know, they want Israel Adesanya or something on here. Yeah. I mean, I, I hope that's it, because because to me yeah. that is both very funny and, well, just very funny, really. I mean, <laughs> I think you just have to at that point look at the cards that they're taking on for like boxing events. Yeah, you know, true. It's it's like they're Tyson really trying Fury to versus... sports wash their whole bloody regime, and this ain't gonna cut it. Exactly. Like you don't, you don't put on Tyson Fury and Francis Ngannou because you want home field representation. You put it on because you want true. big stars in your country gassing yeah. it up and telling everybody getting people to think oh well, i'd love to visit there and see and see the sites and yeah go with somebody over there card. knew that if if rosenstrike gazeev went if it went past the first round and a half mm-hmm. fans were going to start like looking away from the octagon and being like wait what is that child skeleton doing in the hallway yeah <laughs> no, no 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 that's not that's not bread and circuses pal that's yeah, we, we want a big spectacle. And I don't mean a spectacle that weighs collectively 320 plus pounds. Yeah, that is not or 420 plus pounds. That is not my definition of big UFC, whatever your matchmakers say. It, heavyweight does not mean better. OK, and it is 520 plus pounds, actually. Wow. 
that goes to show um, just how stupid I am. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was never good at math, Zane. I would never pretend I was. <laughs> I, I was pretty pleased with myself for sort of roughly figuring out the 15 plus 15 part. You know, <laughs> I like, was wrong about the big numbers. Yeah, yeah. Oh Jesus. Uh, well, the sounds are smarter than I am. Is what I'm saying. They, they're, there's a guy that is apparently uh, in Ariel Helwani's ear a lot. I can't remember his name uh, right now because especially it sounds like it's like not a real name. Ariel Helwani. <laughs> no. Mm-hmm. Uh. Let me see if I can. He's like a Saudi uh, representative. He's, yeah, he's, he's basically a grand vizier, you know. Oh, sweet. And he he seems to be the driving force of like their combat sports events. Hell yeah. And he just, I think that I think he probably actually knows a lot about what's what what the combat sports world is and what makes a big event. And he has like some, uh, some like anonymous, like shit posting MMA account. That's right. Yeah. That would... The, the Bohashinia Depot is secretly the grand vizier of Saudi I, Arabia. I was going to go with Ryan Wagner, you know, Wagner, but yeah. <laughs> yeah <Ryan> Wagner. <laughs> I've had that guy on my podcast. Mm-hmm. Oh. He, he hit his accent very well. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, so yeah, we've got a card in front of us that is, honestly, it's okay. If it were, uh, it, well, it is just a fu- an Apex card. As an Apex card, it's a lot better than their normal Apex cards. Mm-hmm. As a regular UFC event, yeah. I would say it's still a noted cut below what used to pass for a fight night. Yeah. Mostly because the main and co-main events are... yeah not meaningful at all like Mokaev, Nurmagomedov, Erseg, uh you know these Basharat these are all really hot prospects mm-hmm. they're not none of them are actually big name fighters though no, they're no. all they're all rising potential stars yeah and then at the top like hey, the like biggest v- dudes we got yeah, I like Vitor Petrino. He's a fun fighter, but Tyson Pedro, Shamil Gaziev, Jerzyno Rosenstroik, like Rosenstroik, even by heavyweight standards, is actually a pretty boring heavyweight. What do you mean? If he's boring, then explain why this is his sixth UFC main event, Zane. Explain that. I wish I could. Is Anthony Smith boring? <laughs> oh, wait. Yeah, <laughs> often often is. Uh, they literally just picked the two heaviest fights on the card for the main and co-main event. Yeah. Like I, the only the only pass I will give them is that whereas to me Perez Mikhaev and to many others I think is the obvious main event. Mhm. Cuz like Mikhaev is a is like a looks like a real blue chip prospect. At least he's on a super impressive winning streak in the UFC. And Perez, you know, has fought for the title. Yeah. Uh, the only and 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 this is fair enough. I wouldn't put Perez in a main event either. No, he. We have we have found 
with Perez over the years now that he is a very uh, snake bit. This man isn't just snake, but he has five vipers like just hanging off his body at all times. Yeah, he's snake chewed. <laughs> <laughs> they got a snake dentures just for <laughs> Alex Perez. Yeah, he's snake eight. But uh, he not only is he incredibly snake bit, but he is also just a very front running bully. So like, I wouldn't even care about that. It's just the fact that he yeah. man has had thirteen cancellations in the last four years. Like, yeah, I would, I would not. If I were a matchmaker, I would not feel safe hanging a card on him. Then again, uh, Rosenstruck Gazi was a shitty main event. So it really is. Ma- maybe you had to make another one more for this card to be up to. Really, that's all it would take. It like one really yeah. good main event. And I would say this would pass for a pretty solid travel fight night card. Mm-hmm. But it would yeah, have like, to be like an actual, like meaningful contention kind of fight. Yeah, you you get like uh, you know your Curtis Blades versus Jailton Almeida, or that would be great. Hey, and yeah. it's even heavyweight. I would happily take that for sure. Exactly. Yeah. Or that would or, be great. You know, just like. Uh, I mean, frankly, UFC yeah. 299 could lose one fight to be a main event for yeah. an international card like this. It's true. It's what, so absolutely stacked that, like, yeah, Blades Almeida would be perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You could do Blades Almeida. You could do uh, Holland Page. Like, that would be an awesome Fight night main event. You yeah, know? I'm a, I'm a little too much of a smark to be sold on that one, but I totally that one I would it would be a game recognized game kind of main event. Like, yeah, okay, I like, see why you did this. Fair enough. You know, it would I be, don't give a shit about Michael Page, but I but see it, why people do. I get it. Yeah, you know, or even Burns Madalena. Like these are all yeah. totally fine top contender kind of, or 100%. at least high interest fights mm-hmm. and they're all on one card and the fight night card is really just a and you know this is more and more what the UFC has become and what they're doing and it's it's fine until you try to like go put, pitch it as like hey everybody you know Saudi government you should pay us for this mm-hmm it is fine to otherwise have fight nights. Just be like, yes, yeah, it's just all our chaff. This is just, this is just filler stuffing. You don't need to watch this. It's not important. Oh my god, they have another heavyweight fight night headliner coming up after two ninety nine. Yeah. Enough, Tibora Tuivasa. Enough. Yeah, that is that is a real. Nobody wants that. That is a terrible, terrible fight. Oh my god. Yeah, I was theorizing forever, and we will get into the card momentarily, but I was theorizing forever that, like, yeah, of course the UFC would soon adopt the boxing model Mm -hmm. where they would just have, like, one big fight that sells and then a bunch of crap. Yeah. Um, Because nobody cares about boxing undercards. Every once in a while you get one that has, like, four solid fights on it. Every once in a while. Mm -hmm. Um, But... uh, no, it's actually like far worse the model they've adopted because they don't care about 
sell selling fights. <laughs> they, yeah. In fact, in some to some extent, they'd rather not have fighters who sell because they are difficult to handle in negotiations. There's a reason that Dana White is out there pumping up power slap as going yeah. to be bigger than the UFC someday. It's because there's literally never going to ever be an a no. competitor. All these guys are like they, they're they're doing this because they lost their job three weeks ago. Like yeah. They'll all be dead in three years. They're not going to have any negotiating power. And uh, yeah, what it is instead is um, just an entire card where like, in fact, the main event is often the worst part. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just, I never would have, I never would have, I was too naive to to, to realize that there could be a viable business model in not caring if the card sells or draws a gate or anything. Yep. Just having the card. The UFC has absolutely built the business model where it is just not important that people watch. Yeah, they've tried to keep up the classic UFC card structure with the the big events. Oh, yeah. Pay-per-views, it is actually still important because, you know, the, the big judge. They haven't gone the boxing direction with those. Those are still stacked. Yeah, the bit well then the big thing is that like it, you know with the ESPN Plus deal they get paid 30 million 300 million dollars for 30 fight night events. Yeah. That's just the flat rate does not matter what those events do whatever each fight night event is guaranteed to make 10 million dollars no matter what. And the pay-per-views are a separate broadcast deal right? With, with its own pricing and its own range and all that. And the thing that keeps ESP, the deal between ESPN and the UFC suite is not, oh, one card is going to draw X number of viewers or whatever. It does the promotion and their content drive yeah. X amount of new subscribers annually. And the and, pay-per-views are just as responsible because you need to subscribe Exactly. To buy the pay-per-views, you can so the pay-per-views, drive subscriptions on the solely on the basis of the few cards that people actually do want to spend, spend money to see. And that's it. Yeah. The pay-per-views have to stay stacked because that is where you are getting you're, – you're entrapping the new customers, and then all the rest is already paid for. It's a scam. It, it is a scam, yes. And ESPN is happy to be scammed because they're, they're getting the money that they want from it either way, I assume. Yeah, I mean, they UFC has been a great content driver for them. It's been a great, great subscription driver for them, and uh, they one of the big you know loss leader things about all the streaming platforms out there is the the importance of just having content that people will look at your service and be like, oh well, there is a lot of stuff there. I yep. should get it, and so you know. The UFC really, they manufacture a ton of stuff. Yep. So they are very attractive to streaming services because they will they will make sure that your content serve that your service is filled. Anyway. What a beautiful, what a beautiful world we live in. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's, let's talk let's, about this main event. Yep. Jorginho Rosenstroke. Half his fights are over quickly. The other half are the most boring thing you've ever seen. Mm-hmm. This is a guy who routinely has a Nama Yunus Esparza style fight, which yeah. occasionally ends in a knockout. 
or it's a first round knockout, which is which just happens in like half of heavyweight fights anyway. Yeah, he is he is on that kick, that other half of the MMA meta kick, where I want to personally track down every coach that is reinforcing this and sit them down and just be like, <laughs> why? Look at your results. Tell me why, please. Yeah. Why would you instruct a fighter in MMA to be a back foot counter striker? Well, I mean, who knows? With with, I mean, sometimes these things are not really up to the coaches to just mold True. the fighters. Like I have, I have always said that fighting style is a it, it is a reflection of yeah core personality traits, and I think it's pretty obvious. Rosenstreich is just a guy who is. I would classify him as anxious and patient. Mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't like to go first. Doesn't want to be the one caught out making a mistake. And doesn't mind waiting for the other guy to do it. Yeah. That's just who he is. Um, that being said, there's a whole lot of technical nuance you can develop for a back foot patient counterpuncher that would make him better and less tedious than this. Yeah. And- being a back foot counterpuncher does not mean standing there with your knees unbent waiting for something to happen. Mm-hmm. You could be trying to outposition the guy. You can have a whole host of techniques to poke and prod him with. To yeah. you know, even Leota Machida, when he even his most boring performances were far more sophisticated than this because at least you were like losing to him. Yeah. Machida the, made sure that yeah. you would it would it would take a few minutes. And then opponents would start to have to panic. They would, they would start to feel like, oh man, I got to get something going. Yeah, that fight you had with uh, Ryan Bader, for example. Yeah, yeah. Ryan Bader was very disciplined for like a round and a half. He's like, I'm not going to run at Leota Machida. And then there came a point where he had to because he yeah. was just getting like kicked in the legs and body. Yep. And, and he had to make something happen because he was just losing the fight slowly. And then and, he lost the fight suddenly. That's like actually a sophisticated approach. Yeah, that it but, is really. It's always. I, I almost forget now because so few fighters really pull it off that well. That like, you can actually set a trap. It doesn't all have to be bluff and bravado. Exactly. Yeah. Like I'm so used to the Darren Tills of the world. Right. Where that backhand is cocked, and. You're like, oh, man, there's a big punch waiting there for the moment somebody steps in. And then you see him in a fight where somebody just pressures him. And it's just like, oh, no, he just hates that. Yeah. It's not actually I'm ready to hit you. It's please don't come at me. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Rosenstrike is more like that. And he just has a really frustratingly simple game where it's like, I mean, sometimes he isn't back foot counterpuncher, man. Sometimes it just goes to show how psychological it is. Yeah. Sometimes he feels that he's just way faster. He could throw combinations and the other guy has like no ability to do anything and he will just walk them down and crush them. Yep. But, um, yeah, in his back foot countering performances, he is just, that is not the actually correct way to do it. The style is not the core problem. Even if it is, I think definitively a difficult style to pull off in this sport. Yeah. Uh, the style itself is not his biggest problem. It's no, the it's fact true. that he, he has a really rudimentary understanding of what counterpunching is. Um, 
And then you have Shamil Gaziev. Gaziev. I haven't decided how I'm pronouncing yeah. it. I think it's Gaziev. Is how that's they're... what I've heard. Yeah. Yeah, but then I they, we started saying Kiev with the Russian invasion of Ukraine, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's Kiev. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a Y <laughs> vowel in the Russian al- alphabet. Kiev. Yeah. The the U.S. alphabet just we can't really we can't really deal with it. It doesn't. Yeah. Anyway. But uh, you know, Gaziv will be a um, he, he's he's not another one. Mm-hmm. You get these guys. He's uh, like I don't think it's I'm I will end up picking Rosenstrike here. I don't <sighs> think it is at all even unlikely that Gaziv beats him. Mm-mm. And if so, that Gaziv then goes on to rack up like three or four straight KO wins in the UFC. He's that kind of fighter. Mm-hmm. We've seen them before. We've seen the good versions and the bad versions. We had uh, the the Dacus, the former cop, big yep. Dacus. He's the bad version. He racked up a couple wins and then it all fell apart. We have the good version, Sergey Pavlovich. Mm-hmm. Although his just fell apart at the highest level, we'll see if he can recapture the flame or not. And we had Tom Aspinall too. Like, Tom Aspinall. Yeah, I would say Aspinall is pretty plainly a slightly more sophisticated version of this guy. Sure, Aspinall sure. can like counter. He could put combinations together that don't involve him stumbling forward. But the point is, is that heavyweight is a division where guys often yeah. jump into the division and run wild yeah. with success. Just super aggressive guys who were clearly better than all their regional opponents and have yet to learn the truth of their own mortality. Mm-hmm. And so they just go in there. They're hyper aggressive. They're really powerful. And um, I, I, Gaziv, I think, compares pretty favorably to like Sergei Pavlovich. Mm-hmm. Like the man throws combinations, you know? Yeah. They're not pretty, <laughs> but he throws them. No, and Pavloviches aren't pretty either. No, they're not. Um, it gets a lot worse than that. He's he's really aggressive, and he tries to test his opponents right away. He pressures them. He actually cuts off the cage, you know, decently well for a heavyweight, and puts people's backs against the fence and just tries to smash them. And mm-hmm. um, that is a style that will always net you at least a string of successes in the UFC heavyweight division. Yeah. Um, whether or not you can go beyond that, or you have any sophistication beyond that remains to be seen i will say uh after pretty much supposing that he had one round of cardio yeah uh before it his that U- way from his regional stuff he has now proven and this includes a couple regional fights that I, I basically overlooked he has now proven on like three or four occasions that he has at least one and one fifth rounds worth of cardio because yeah. <laughs> multiple times including his ufc debut he has uh, finished the process of KOing his opponent like a minute into round two, mm-hmm. which is it, it, it could be worse. Yeah, because he certainly looks like a guy. He's so intense and throws everything with maximum power and minimum the, form. And yeah, he would not be the first heavyweight of that mold to gas out like before the first round is even done. Yeah. So that's something. Um, aside from that, he, he looks no more complicated than Rosenstrike. He's just a lot more consistently assertive. Yeah. It's really just a question of will his being assertive walk him into a big counter shot? He can't. Take? Yeah. Yeah. And 
Rosenstruck is absolutely the dude to deliver that shot. Yeah. And I have seen Gaziev get hurt doing that exact thing. Yeah. He comes on, in so square and like, yeah, he doesn't even like jab his way into range. He just steps in and then starts throwing. Mm-hmm. He is absolutely ripe for a counter, but you put him in there against somebody like Martin Budai and, and he just like, he sees Gaziev coming at him and instantly shells up like, Oh God. Yeah. Budai Next. has no counter punching instinct and it wrecked him. Yeah. Um, Rosenstrike will at least try to throw some punches out there. I'm going to pick Jarzinho, uh, but it's, it is honestly pretty much a coin toss to me because. Yeah. I, I, Rosenstrike, like I said, is not really a good counter puncher. He has a hair trigger and he's fast. Yep. Um, but he's not really, again, he's not like the There's type no of guy. There's no to it. There's no. no... He doesn't have yeah. good defense. He's not going to use like feints and jabs to like draw out the strike he wants to counter. He's not going to like lull you into reaching by like letting you get just on the edge of range a bunch of times and then resetting. Like yeah. there's no there's no craft or guile there. It's just like, okay, I'm going to stand here. You come at me and we'll see if I'm like if I can be faster when I like close my eyes and tense up every muscle in my body to throw. We'll see who's faster. It's a very dumb version of counterpunching. Yeah, it's more 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 Blanca than Guile. <laughs> yes, very much. Except right. Blanca, I think Blanca threw combinations. <laughs> <laughs> also, Blanca could grapple. He rolled around and shit. That's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Rosenstrike has never rolled a day in his life. <laughs> uh, yeah, man. There is just like sort of a feeling in the water for me here that I should just be picking Kaziv. Sure. Just yeah. the aggression and the confidence to just go out there and walk Rosenstreak down and mess him up. Yeah. Like Volkov kind of did that, you know? Yeah. Mm hmm. And Ngannou did it in the most too. hilarious way imaginable. Yeah. Yeah. Literally ran at him. Yeah. I mean, basically, if you look at his UFC record, like there have been two guys who have just been super aggressive against Rosenstrike and they both beat him very quickly. Yeah. And then, except, you except know, there's Chris Dawkins. That's the only one who didn't pull it off. Yeah. And then, yeah, otherwise, he's got plenty of first-round knockouts to recommend him to that you, if you're not confident, if you don't step in with, like, a full, you know, full steam ahead, throw caution to the wind, he can absolutely crack and crush you and knock you out. For sure. And I don't really – I think I'm just going to bank on heavyweight being heavyweight, which is a division where – you just can be a guy that shows up and just wows people and keeps rolling for a while until somebody like yeah. really actually good stops you. And this I don't think not the first time we've seen it. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to pick, I'm going to pick Gaziev. I really don't like the way he squares up at the end of range or at the edge of range. I don't like the way he reaches for takedowns. I don't even like how inactive he can be on top at times. Yeah. yeah. 
but Rosenstrike is Dude, I didn't just... even think about that. That is at least a fallback, though, against Rosenstrike. Rosenstrike has yeah. zero ground game. Yeah. And he is so stiff-legged. Yeah. Like, if you rush him, he is always going to be staying, right? He will he will meet the train on the tracks, you yeah. know? Doesn't have he the plants. footwork not to. No. So... All Gaziab has to do really is crash him, and if he can't even you know knock him out doing that, he could probably get him down. Yeah. So I'm gonna take Gaziev here or Gaziev, but uh, yeah, it's not a, it's not gonna be a pretty fight. It'll it'll it'll, it'll either be over really quickly and stupidly, or it'll be the worst thing you've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> or it'll that's, be so much wall install and that's heavyweight folks top control and just ugh, it does not need to be a five round fight at all. No, if this fight goes beyond a round and a half, we will have seen literally every bit of it that we needed to see. Yep. So. God, what if uh, I'm, I'm going to raise a, a, a hair-raising po- uh, possibility here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Would it be really funny if Gazeev buys the Rosenstrick hype? And just... And it's like, ooh, it, I got to be cautious against this guy. He's a master counterpuncher. And we get and we like... just get a, another Rosenstrick staring contest. We get Ganu versus a Lewis. Versus Lewis, yeah. Or Rosenstrick versus Gon. Yeah. Just oh, Rosenstrike over him. That's why I say nobody. We don't need this to be a five round fight. If no. it goes, if it goes more than a round and a half, it'll either be because it's a staring contest or an absolute grind. Yeah, and it's just not. It'll just be interminable. That's actually one reason why I'm sad it's not happening in Saudi Arabia. This car because that would be a great opportunity for like a you know, a grand vizier type to just enter the cage. Be like, no, that's it. It's over. <laughs> just have royal authority intercede. If the fight goes to round three, the Stop threat this. that one of the, that somebody might be put to death for. Yeah. yeah so, I mean, there's enough authority. You can do that. Yeah. Like, no, it's over. Stop. Yeah. Oh, thank God. Thank God for brutal monarchic reign. There was a fight card where that happened. Not that long ago. What? Yeah, it wasn't Saudi Arabia or anything, but it was like some Russian promotion or something. And the fight was just bad and boring. And so the owner of the promotion just stepped in and like called it off. Wow. It used to, there's a lot of stories of that happening with uh, racist police in the history of boxing. Yeah, it doesn't Are surprise you, me. You're aware of those where like they would match up like the uh, the rare fight where a white guy would be brave enough to fight a black boxer. And he would start to lose, and the police would stop the fight. That has happened more than once. Let me see if I can find this. Yeah. I Did I actually – I wrote about this. That's why I remember it. <laughs> in 2022, uh, in the – at ACA 141, so actually a pretty notable – promotion ACA one of Russia's biggest in a fight between let's see Ali Bagov and Rashid Magomedov oh the president of the promotion 
just stepped in in the middle of the fight and just was like, no, this sucks. You guys are too timid. We're canceling it. Afterward, here, I'll read the quote. Dear friends, the ACA League is not a kindergarten. It is a serious league. The ACA League today is, regardless of what anyone says, the second greatest fight league in the world. Every time I say this, someone comes out with some sort of criticism, and now we are showing you what sort of league we really are. That's it. Disqualified. That's it. I've had it. I've got no nerve for this. What is this? What the fuck are you? What are you? Do you think we're schoolboys over here? Right. You're all free to go. That's it. Akmat power. Alu Akbar. <laughs> like, I don't want that to become the norm. But... But there have been a few UFC fights where I'm like, can somebody do something about this? Right. I've seen enough. That's so funny. It says on on Rashid Magomedov's Wikipedia, no contest, lack of activity. Yep. Both fighters disqualified for lack of activity. Wow. I mean, usually it's not the president of the promotion, but like that, that is a thing that can happen in boxing and stuff. Like the referee can disqualify fighters simultaneously yeah i mean it happens for an excess of fouls and not a lack of activity but it's theoretically possible i am a a firm believer that mma refs should be bullish about timidity honestly we don't to be fair we don't it doesn't really come up that often no, but in you know something like Esparza Nama Yunus. Oh, absolutely. That, that is, is such a fight a... where a ref should have absolutely stepped in and been like, I'm taking points. I feel know? like we watched that three times. I vaguely remember. That's that's how bad the fight is, folks. I watched it three times consecutively, and I can only vaguely remember anything from it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The referee didn't say a word until like the last minute of round five. Yeah. What's the point? Really, what's the point? Yeah. All right. Anyway. Odds for this car for this fight: Rosenstreich opened at plus one twenty-eight. He's currently plus one forty-seven. Gaziev opened at minus one sixty-four. He's currently at minus one sixty-four. Bounced up and down a little, but Gaziev a slight favorite. Uh, I really am not that comfortable jumping on any kind of uh, Shamil Gaziev hype train. You're not. But, you're you're making a perfectly yeah. logical pick, which is MMA is a sport where a man who go forward win. Yeah. Uh, and and in particular at heavyweight, man who go forward and hit hard win four times in a row. Yeah. I think that's it's. I don't really even honestly have a good reason for picking Rosenstrike. No, I, I came in prepared to pick Rosenstrike too, yeah, just because Gaziev no. is so perfectly set up for his counter game. But yeah, but I think you can, with no hype train tomfoolery whatsoever, say, yeah, sure, Gaziev might win. Fair yep. enough. Yeah. Makes sense right. to me. That brings us to our co main event Vitor Petrino, Tyson Pedro. Here we and, go. Um, the, like there's just no reason to pick Tyson Pedro in this fight. Yeah. He's he's a cleaner striker. He's a better grappler. Uh, might even be a better wrestler too than Petrino. Although wrestling has never really been Pedro's strongest no. suit. Um, but 
it Pedro's big problem has been confidence. He is and a one round fighter. He's a one round fighter, and it's not a oh how hard did I fight that round? My gas tank is going to fail me. Right. It is did I get this? Did I get the fight finished while I still had the adrenaline going? Yeah. No. Okay. Well, now I'm in pure panic mode. I feel like he could easily fight a round and a half or more if it was like clearly visible to him that his opponent was broken. Yes. It's the fact that he does whatever whatever happens in the first round, and then they're still there, and in fact they're more determined to beat him up, shatters his confidence, and yeah. therefore he tenses up and gasses out very quickly. And his recent wins. Anton Turkali, Harry Hunsucker, Ike Villanueva, Saperbeg Safarov. You don't think the uh, the Pleasure Man is a meaningful win? These are four of the worst light heavyweights that the UFC has ever, <laughs> ever assigned. Anton Turkali, I God love him for that tapology photo of his. It is a absolute masterpiece. Um, but he just, he is a fighter who is trying to vibe his way through fights. Yeah. Yeah. Like he doesn't have a grappling game. He doesn't have a striking game. He doesn't have a wrestling game. He just goes out there and tries to vibe it, make it so through willpower. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they seem to have made this matchup because both of these dudes fought Tricali, the pleasure man. Mm-hmm. And uh, to uh, Pedro's credit, he did actually finish him immediately, whereas Petrino could not. However, yeah, Petrino is sloppy and wild. Well, however, it may also be because Tricali took such a massive amount of punishment in the Petrino fight. Yeah, that, is that he can't take it anymore. Well, but more than that, too, it is really. Pedro is a technically better fighter. If he can catch you while his adrenaline is high. Yeah, yeah, he's accurate, sure. He's accurate. He's He can hit good, like, crafty grappling subs, and, mm-hmm. you know, he's got, like, technique to his game. It's not at all a surprise to me that he would go out there against somebody like Turkali and be like, oh, I'm just better than you. That's fine. the most hittable man on the planet. What's the problem? Yeah, yeah. I'll wrap it up. Petrino is just a wild man who is going crazy all the yeah. time. He is a shorter version of like pre-modern era Tiago Santos. He is like mm-hmm. all athleticism. I mean, he's not as to be fair to Tiago. He had like a really dexterous kicking game even then. Yeah. But Petrino is just like full tilt horsepower. Yeah. Athletic striking. When you're just trying to mash somebody, they have every chance of just sort of being able to survive by sheer luck. It was also know? partly Petrino's fault. He couldn't stop himself continuing to wrestle with Turkali. Yeah. Yeah. Which he was also winning in that phase, but it was yeah. it, it allowed Turkali to continue surviving. But you put these two together and all I can see is Petrino is going to be there be yep. making painful things happen long after Tyson Pedro wants to continue having making painful things happen, you know? Yep. It's a very straightforward call. Like Pedro will probably come out of the gate, land a really good one, two, maybe land some sharp calf kicks that get in, you know, that like make Petrino have to pick up his leg and wince. 
And Petrino's just going to charge after him like an ox and pick him up and slam him and wing wild hooks at him. And at some point, Pedro is just going to be like, God damn it, I don't want to do this anymore. Yep. So you got to pick Petrino. That's really it. Yeah, I have nothing to add. Super straightforward. One round fighter who panic gasses versus guy who is tough and violent. Yep. And hits hard, is super explosive. Yeah, easy call. Pedro opens at opened at plus 238. He's currently at plus 248. Petrino opened at minus 278. He's currently minus 292. Yeah, that's, that's fine. Uh, that brings us to a flyweight bout. Alex Perez, Mohamed Mokaev. And... Uh, can I uh, point out, by the way, that Saperbeck Saparov, just because he was mentioned before, he did have a fight in 2023. His first oh, wow. since his last UFC bout in 2020. He fought a guy whose name, this is possibly fake, his name is Ramadan Muhammad. <laughs> okay, that's a little too on the nose. <laughs> right? Sounds like, so it's like uh, what's two Muslim things? Uh, <laughs> but uh, boy, I yearn for the days when Saperbeck Safarov <laughs> was still kicking around, getting grease on people. Right. Oh, I miss him. Uh, I should I should start posting uh, I should call him memes with Safarov's face. <laughs> Anytime I'm just gonna start quote tweeting the most disgusting news items I see on Twitter with <laughs> I should call him. There you go. That'll be a joke for you and me and like <laughs> and two Phil, other people. Phil <laughs> and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Perez Mokaev though flyweight fight and this is honestly you know what. The, Mokaev is right there. He's on that Ian Gary tip. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Where you're like, oh, that's a good that that's a good match. And then you think about it a little more, and you're like, that is exactly the right fight to take if you want to get yourself into title contention. Yeah. I mean, the only real shame about this matchup is that it's not gonna happen. <laughs> oh, don't say that. I mean, honestly. No, I know. It's 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 going to be Mikhaev Schnell or Mikhaev Erseg. Yeah. Alex Perez has fought twice since 2020, since June of 2020, both losses, and and throughout that he has had like at least ten fights canceled. He keeps getting injured and sick, and, and he's sometimes had, had a, ten fights canceled. And sometimes his opponents are getting injured as well. Like he is, it is like Ian McCall. It is very much like Ian McCall. Like what's going to happen here is like Ian McCall. He's going to finally make it back into the cage and he's going to do what Brian Ortega just did last weekend before his fight, except his whole foot's going to come off. Do you remember when Ian McCall made his, yeah, that's what I mean. Cut himself on a ring rope on the rope. Yeah. No, Perez is going to like, he's going to like trip over the cage uh, the door getting into the octagon. Yeah. Seriously. Like that is how there's, there is a curse on this man. Curses are real. Yep. Um, I actually don't think this is too much of a perfect matchup because it's not Ian Gary had to go through quite a few of those before I was like, all right, enough mm-hmm. for Makayev, uh This is one where like, 
I think it is really possible. Like, uh, by, he could get bullied and lose by the best version of Alex Perez. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. That's because, that, I mean, that's kind of why I think like you you look at it at first and you're like, oh, this is a great fight. Like, yeah, there's Perez, a version of Alex Perez that can beat Perez him. is easily the biggest, strongest wrestler he's faced. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we, you and I both agree that Makayev's game is, relies entirely on the idea that he is technical enough as a wrestler and grappler to override whatever physical qualities his opponent might have. Yeah, I mean, I would honestly, I, 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 I would maintain that Mokayev thinks that he is a more dominating physical athlete than he is. Yeah. And often tries to horsepower his way through situations where, as he gets higher and higher in the UFC, he actually just can't. Yeah, I mean, that fight with Tim Elliott. Yeah. Uh, how many of his takedowns on Elliott were like actual clean takedown finishes? Not and a lot of them. Like his most impressive moment of the fight was shooting straight to his knees, zero drive, getting stuffed and hitting a pretty cool peek out from the front yeah. block. Um, but like, yeah, like at a certain point and Alex Perez, if he's healthy, if he can still put on the performance he, he used to put on, he is that level of wrestler, and he's big and strong. Yeah. We're like, oh, I'm not sure you want to end up in Alex Perez's front headlock. I'm not sure it's safe to be yeah. like, oh, I'll just hit a peek out and uh, or a switch and just sweep him, basically reverse him from that position. And, yeah, so I actually don't – the only thing is, that is, is, is doubts about Perez. If I could yeah. have any faith whatsoever that he would show up looking good uh, – the only guys who ever beat him are like top flight elite athletes. Yeah. It, it, it really, for Perez, it is almost entirely a thing where he is not, uh, he has to be the bully. Exactly. Yeah. And when he is not the bully, when he is not physically stronger than his opponent, yeah. He, his, his, uh, confidence evaporates. Yes. And that, uh, you know, like, I don't I don't know or trust that Mokayev is necessarily going to be strong and athletic enough to make Perez feel like he's not a bully. He's just not imposing Mokayev like he doesn't have have a striking game. He doesn't. Exactly. Like Perez's striking game can be ineffective, but if his confidence is riding high. He mm-hmm. can pass for a pretty effective clean striker. He's a, I mean, Perez is just, he's an excellent pressure fighter when yeah. he's clicking. When he is yes. on, he is on the front foot. He is landing hard shots. He is walking you down and he is ducking in on big, powerful takedowns yeah. that lead to a pretty strong bullying ground and pound game. Yeah. You know, it all works and clicks when it's working for Perez. Yeah. It's just, We've seen too that he can walk himself right into a sub a submission doing that. You know, it's not at all surprising to go back and see that he's got an arm bar loss to Jared Papazian mm-hmm. or a prayer choke loss to Adam Anatolin. Mm-hmm. Or as we saw with Joseph Benavidez and Davison Figueredo, if he can't if he's not the bigger, stronger guy, or in Benavidez's case, just not the stronger guy then he can be put on the back foot 
And he wasn't stronger than Benavidez, and he also just doesn't like the idea of somebody, even with just comparable athleticism, yeah, simply choosing not to give a shit about what he's trying to do. Yeah, ben- Benavidez just straight up went out there and said, "Okay, prove it," and sunk yep. him. And that is the reason I'm picking Mokayev here. Is not because I mean Benavidez is better than Mokayev, no question, but Mokayev does have that attitude to him absolutely bone deep the okay prove it that you can beat me and it's true i don't trust paris he have all the shit to back it up that, he that doesn't, joe b had i know close. he does not and it should it, it's a major warning like it is a like I said, this is a fight that I look at it and I'm initially I'm like, this is a great test for Mokayev. Yes, yeah. But I am too worried about Perez's ability to maintain a really hard fight because a lot of the guys that he has faced and beat, he found a way to, you know, it's he's also a fighter who just like went out there and walked through people. That in a way that I don't think Mokayev will let himself be walked through. Yeah. And Mokayev is a better wrestler and grappler than Mark De La Rosa. Like, that is one thing, too. Uh, Perez has actually faced almost no takedowns in the UFC from anyone. Interesting. Yeah. You know, he's 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 got a 77 percent takedown defense. Uh, Perez, and you're like, oh, that's good. And then you look and you're like. OK, Pantoja shot uh, was one of one. And. Uh, you know, Mark, let's see, Benavidez was one of two. And if we were, if, if, if Shelton were, was O of two, and like that might be the entirety of the people that have tried to take him. Yeah. Down. If one of us was good at math, I and mean, we've already proved that you're better than me, but we could actually yeah. figure out just from the percentage how many, how many that was likely to be. But yes, you're right. It's not sure, a lot. Yeah. yeah. It's not a lot. He's not faced much in the way of wrestling threats. Yeah. And I have seen the way he can melt down when he's not in command. Yep. And I just have to pick Mokayev. And I I don't think that it's a safe fight. It, it, I don't think it's a safe bet for Mokayev. But, you know, I just don't even know where Perez is, really. And that, for me, is the that, that's the whole thing. I mean, yeah. I, I think I would be sorely tempted to pick Perez here. Um. If it were three or four years ago. Yeah, I mean, if this is Perez coming right off that win over Husia Formiga. Even if I had just seen him lose to Figueredo. Yeah. You know, like I already knew at that point he was the guy who can, the bully who can shatter if somebody bullies Mm -hmm. him. Even then, um, I would have been like, well, I know that about him, but I think he's bigger and stronger and he is a considerably better striker than Mikhaev. I mean, Mikhaev does not have a striking game. He really doesn't. He like closes his eyes and throws out a bunch of crap. Yep. Uh, I mean, and that like, Tim Elliott fight showed you every problem with Mokayev, and realistically, it's a fight he should have lost because yeah. those knees that Elliott hit him with 
I'd stand by him as legal. Those were legal knees. Sure. Also, you know? not really his first fight that sort of follows that shape. Yeah. Then other fights where he's like kind of struggling to actually pull ahead until like very late. And it's, yeah, because... I mean, that's that Charles Johnson fight he had. He, yeah. He took, you know, the, the stats you look at it for it. Um, he took Johnson down 12 times by the stats of 26 attempts. Yeah. And the huge bulk of that fight was still spent just trapped on the cage. Yeah. Like Johnson, Johnson, like quickly getting back up and them just being locked. Yeah. yeah. Mokaev did not actually like he just seat belted Johnson for the whole fight. It was not some incredible display of wrestling dominance. It was just he was clinging to him. Yep. That's it. You know? Yeah. And that's the thing. He's 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 not physically imposing. We have seen it take a very long time for his technical ability to actually like prevail against stronger or yeah. comparably strong opponents with they have solid to get wrestling. Getting tired, pretty much, and then yeah. he can really be show off his technique. We have seen that more than once, um, and he has no striking on the feet to back it up. It is a complete bluff. Yep. Uh, intended to disguise his takedown attempts. I mean, even I would say his shot is not just not very good. Yeah. Uh, like he was he was this close to having like a Drakus moment uh, against Tim Elliott on one of those. I th- mm-hmm. in fact I think it was the shot that preceded the awesome peek out reversal, where he like Elliott was just coming at him, and he just like squatted down. Mm-hmm. He didn't like get down and drive. He didn't like you know launch into Elliot. He just sort of just bent his knees, and it's like, man, if Elliot had just like poked him in the chest, he would have fallen onto his ass. Yep. Um. And beyond that, he also is not potent on the ground. Yeah, he's got the submission kick, but he has no ground and pound. Mm-mm. He's just like, and I can't tell if it's because. He's just in like, uh, like you know, pre mid career Sakuraba mindset where he just hasn't like figured out that that's a really viable and effective yeah. thing to do, or if it's because it takes all of his concentration and, f- and physical force to just control people that he doesn't mm-hmm. feel like it's safe to posture up and give them wiggle room and land some strikes. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case. Um. But he just doesn't like do damage. Like it re- honestly feels like somewhat lucky that he has managed to win. I mean, these all these third round submissions. Yeah. Uh, you know, and the one against Elliot is like, man, without that submission, I'm pretty sure he would have lost. Yeah. Pretty no, damn I'm sure. I think it's a fight that he, you know. Kind of does he? He should have. There should have been a, f- a few points where he lost that fight. Yeah. Um, so, so given all of that, if I had yeah. any faith whatsoever in Alex Perez, if I knew that he was in form, that he had been active, and that he wasn't, as has clearly been the case, super prone to injury, and I think he's had issues with the weight cut as well. Yeah. Yeah. 
if all of that wasn't a factor, I would really want to pick Perez. But that is essentially the only reason I will not pick him because yep. I, first of all, don't even know if he's going to make it to fight night. If he does, I have zero reason to think he's going to be in good form. And even if he's in good physical shape, he's bound to be like rusty and more prone to his confidence buckling because he hasn't been active. He hasn't fought. Yeah. You know, he's he's had two immediate losses, and those are his only fights in the last three or four years. So, uh, for sure, I'm picking Mukayev. Yep. It, it sucks because, you know, it feels like a fight that Perez should be able to have in hand, but there's just – yeah, there's no – there's no way to trust him. He opened at plus 233. He's currently at plus 289. Mokayev opened at minus 312. He's currently at minus 346. Yeah, sooner or later, Mokayev, probably quite soon, in fact, he is going to run into a fight where he just gets shut out of it completely. Yeah. Um, he has one advantage on, on uh, Ian Gary. Which is that uh, if Makayev goes to like a, a camp, for example, where he gets really good striking training and and whatnot, I don't think he's annoying enough that they'll just kick him out after two years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he's got that going for him. Hey, Mohammed, go talk to Henry Hooft. That's right. <laughs> There's a spot open. There, right? Exactly. Does Hooft actually train any flyweights? He might just be like prejudiced against too anyone puny. under lightweight yeah i haven't i can't I, I when i think about it for a minute it's like wait are there any sub 155 pound like hoofed guys yeah i mean that may just be i mean there there is a reason that team alpha male is sure so enduring it's and a large part of that i think is that like little guys are really um in need of other little guys to train with yeah I wouldn't want to be Makayev size and have to grapple with like, like Gilbert Burns is my, <laughs> the yeah. only guy I get to grapple with. That would suck. All right. That brings us to a welter or a bantamweight bout rather. Umar Nurmagomedov against Bekzat Almakan. And, uh, Almakan is a good, he's a good signing. Yeah. But why this matchup? Yeah, that's that's what I don't get. Like this is just like uh like literally you just had um you just had uh, Muhammad Naimov buried on the prelims last week. Yeah. Is he a featherweight or a bantamweight? He is a featherweight. Oh, okay, all right. I couldn't remember because he fought Nathaniel yeah. Wood who jumps. Yeah. Um but yeah, I mean like what what the hell? Umar just had a super impressive win over Honey Barcelos. He was lined up to fight Corey Sandhagen. Yeah. And now and this, which is like a, a fight that is not like a walkover, and but will do nothing for him if he wins it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, he, he and his supporters will claim that people just don't want to fight him. But, uh -huh, uh, uh -huh. of course, I, you know, I, I can never actually put any faith or stock behind that kind of talk my guess is that the ufc just doesn't you know that how many people want to fight him in like a middle of middle of a fight night apex card yeah for what was supposed to be 
in Saudi Arabia? How many people want to go fight Umar Nurmagomedov in the middle of a Saudi Arabia fight? If you want to find out how many people are really willing to fight Umar, put him at the start of a main card on a uh, North North American pay-per-view. Yeah, on a North American pay-per-view. Probably you're going to get some applicants. Yeah. So, Omicron, you know, looks like a pretty fun fun fighter throws a lot uh has a nice sharp striking style mm-hmm. and is looks like he's in great shape you know yeah. i don't know just really reminds me of our other recent uh, kazakh ufc yeah. edition uh, azat maxim azat maxim yeah just looks like a, very, a good athletic and solidly put together fighter yep he also, and this is, I think, one of the biggest immediate you must pass this test to fight Umar Nurmagomedov problems is he doesn't really have a range game at all. Yeah. Almakan, when you watch him fight, whenever the fight is like out of the pocket, he's basically just standing and watching. Like, yeah. He fact, will just something that Azat Maxim is much better with. Yeah. That guy has a jab and a one, two. Yeah. Almakan will just sit and watch and wait when the fight yeah. is not being brought to him. I think, I think he, he is very much of, it's a temperamental difference. Yeah. Cause it's not like he doesn't have a good jab and a right hand. He wants to draw the opponent out of position. Yeah. Like, so you'll see him circle, reset, circle, reset. He'll wait like two or three seconds to see if he's lulled them in. And when he does lull them in, he can be really sharp on the, not necessarily always the counter, but the like, yeah, inter- the interruption, the interception. Yep. He's a great intercepting striker and he can blitz forward and yeah. crash the pocket to create a sequence whereby like he'll go first, they'll go next, he'll go third. I suspect he has some kind of karate background. Yeah, that was the that's the feeling I get based on his style. That wouldn't be a shock. But what we've seen with the Umar Nurmagomedov is if you don't have a set way to keep up with him out at distance, yeah, he will absolutely pick you apart to death. Has a great range game, in fact. A great range game. The thing I was most impressed with in that Barcelos fight is like, wait a minute. How come I didn't realize before this dude is a jabbing machine? Yeah. And a kicking machine, too. Just I knew about the kicks. I mean, that was the thing. I was sort of reluctant to be excited about his fights. It's like, oh, it's another. I was like conflating him with um, what's his name? Guy who fought Jonathan Martinez. Mm, yeah other caucasian guy who and like a lot of dudes from that part of the world when they are not crushing dominant wrestler grapplers Mm -hmm. they just tend to have like creative kick game saeed Nurmagomedov. yeah Yeah, i was conflating him with saeed and i do not enjoy saeed's striking game i think it's just a bag of tricks with no process to it um so I knew about the kicking game, but yeah, it was against Hani was the first time I really saw him lean on his jab, and it is a great jab. Yeah, and he just kept the lid on Hani Barcelos for that entire fight with that lead hand. He crushed him with it. 
And we've seen, you know, against Nate Manis, another guy who doesn't have a range game, just absolutely stuck him in stuck him in a corner all fight. It felt like just yep. kept him from ever having anywhere to go and anything to do. And then against fighters like Brian Kelleher and Sergey Morozov, who then try to to crash that range, mm-hmm. Nurmagomedov opens up a pretty great wrestling and grappling game. Yep. And I just, you know, I can't look at Al-Makan's skill set and think this guy who likes to try and lull and reset from the outside and then uh, either intercept exchanges or crash the pocket is well set to challenge Nurmagomedov. Yep. Feels like a, a just a really bad style clash for Al-Makan. Yeah, I uh, I tend to agree. I just think Umar is um, good. Yeah, he's pretty he's much. Good. You know, I'm, I said the guy, I've already said, uh, praise the man for his jab. If you've ever, ever listened to me break down a fight, then you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what that means about my impression of him. The pants are off, folks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not wearing pants, Sam, but the robe is open. <laughs> uh, it is open. The Magomedov open at minus seven sixty nine. He's currently minus twelve sixty six. After watching the uh, first two episodes of that new Shogun series, I uh I want to uh I want to start wearing a kimono when we record. <laughs> Badass silk robe. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Get your uh, lady friend there to some of those little wooden shoes to. Clop around the house in. Yeah. I'm going to get one of a seemingly endless variety of impractical Japanese hats. <laughs> I want the one that's just like a cutting board that you strap to the top of your head. <laughs> that's a cool one. They have so many types of hats, dude. It's unbelievable. It's <laughs> true. It's unbelievable. All right. Uh, Almacon opened at plus 473, currently at plus 758. It's wide. Almacon is not a bad fighter at all you know there's oh he's a great signing yeah there's a reason this dude is 17 and one mm-hmm. um this is just a you know against a lot feels, of credible opponents yeah yeah once against a lot of credible opponents this just feels like a an introduction to a new level that he yeah. his style is not built for so yeah and it's a particular style much and like we said like the reason we don't get this matchup is like umar's a fringe contender like yeah he should be fight. He should be in a top contender, title challenging fight within his next two bouts. Yeah, I was trying to figure out what was going on, why they, and it, it does seem like a lot of the bantamweights either just fought or are booked. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's just they tried to give him Sandhagen. They didn't have another one available, but like it's he, just that they wanted him. This was supposed to be a pot sweetener for Saudi Arabia. He's their, he's their token Muslim guy for this card. Yeah. Yeah. He's, this is a Muslim prospect, and we needed to get him a fight on this date. And everybody right. else is probably like, I can't do that date. And so yeah. they signed a guy from the region, you know, also another regional talent signing to be like, see, from we're the region. Yes. <laughs> Kazakhstan is pretty not anywhere near Saudi, Saudi Arabia. Arabia. <laughs> I know, but pretty damn far. This is these. This is the UFC's idea of like. Because it has to be said that 
for as much as UAE Warriors is out there and Brave FC or CF is out there, mm-hmm. the the fighters coming out of the Middle East are tend to be really uh, the natural talent out there tends to tends to be really limited. Yeah, you know. Who was our not that this is even the Middle East. We've had this argument before and you were I know, I know, I know. Where I was like, hey, Afghanistan is not the Middle East, it's Central Asia. Sure, 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 sure. Um who was the uh, Afghani guy the UFC used to have who was awesome? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um big power punching, surprisingly crafty. What was Welterweight his name? Welterweight from Strike yeah. Force. I miss that guy. Yar <laughs> Bahadurzada. Ah, CR. Yeah, he was rock. fun. He was Tyson Nam giant sized. Yeah, just out there with slow pressure and a pinpoint power punching counter game. Yeah, where you would watch him for like whole rounds, whole fights he would have, and you'd be like, "This guy is terrible." I don't understand yeah. this at all. And then he'd go out there in some other really good fighter and just crush them mm-hmm. with like two perfectly timed hooks. And you're like, God damn. He rules. Yeah. It just feels like, uh, the middle East does not produce good fighters, but Afghanistan, we got CR. Now we got the Basharat bros. Yeah. Yeah. We've got at least three quality fighters out of Afghanistan in the UFC. So it's the Sultan. that's really, that just aren't making the quality. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's <laughs> it's the sultanates. It's, it's it's a specific problem with that form of government. Yeah, yeah. All right. Anyway, <laughs> that brings us to another flyweight bout: Matt Schnell, Steve Erseg. Man, has ever has any fighter ever gone so quickly from? guy that I could not care less about to, you know right. what? Okay. Actually, this guy is really pretty good than Steve Ersig. I know. Like I watched him regionally and I was like, well, I, I don't, I don't understand. This is yeah. like, what if all Ryan Hall did was strike? Yeah. You know? to, uh, to be fair, the topology photo didn't help. The topology photo does not help. He, he does like look a... like witness protection, Ryan Hall. <laughs> He looks like a loser nerd. He just does not look like he's got it. And uh, Ryan Hall's cousin, Clive Hall. (laughs) (laughs) I like witness protection, Ryan Hall. I was trying to come up with something like Randall Corridor. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) What's what's his pseudonym? Randy Corridor. Um, Yeah. Dave Passageway uh, out here. Yeah. <laughs> Don Foyer. Um, now, I will say this. Um, I think, because, man, it was a quick, it was just the UFC debut. It was a quick turnaround on our impression of Ursig. Yeah. Because we, we have a, to me, I mean, David Dvorak is a pretty good measuring stick kind of yeah, we, fighter we, for flyweight. He's solid. He's a not great athlete who is pretty fast and technical and well put together. Yeah. He is the kind of test that if you pass him with the, uh, with the uh, flying colors or something close, then that means you're pretty good. And yeah. that's how Ursig beat him. He, mm-hmm. he really just completely outstruck him and, and showed off a really nifty boxing game, good cage cutting, 
solid like range management, therefore decent defense on the feet. Like yeah. it looked like a really consummate, well-schooled boxer. And then I think we probably saw a couple hints of why we weren't impressed with Urseg based on his regional fights in the bout with Alessandro Costa. Yeah. Because that was one where he had to adjust. It started off, he was schooling Costa with the box. Absolutely just mopping the floor with him. Yeah. Urseg has a fantastic jab. Yep. Uh, he has a really educated lead hand. He faints with it, changes the timing on his entries, doubles it, triples it, and uses it to set up everything. You know, mm-hmm. gets gets himself to a good angle, throws not just one twos, but will throw in body shots, three four punch combinations. Like he's a really sophisticated uh, range boxer. Um, and then Costa said, "Fuck this! I'm tired of losing this," and started running at him and wrestling him. And to Ursig's credit. By round three, he adjusted to that. Yeah. He started to win the clinches. He started to get to control positions and turn the wrestling around. But for a minute, he just kind of started losing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Costa started just overpowering him is how it looked. And that was a little more of what we saw on the regional scene, I think, was like yeah. the guy who just looks kind of frail. Yeah. So – that's something I think to be cautious about going forward. Like certainly having seen that and contextualized it with his pre UFC career, I'm going to be a lot more cautious about getting um, overhyped when they match Ursig against say Pantoja. uh, (laughs) Yeah. Right. Pantoja. Who who else is he going to fight title shot next? Yeah. I'll I'll be cautious. Yeah. uh, Okay. Maybe you'll just get over uh, out muscled. Matchnell isn't that guy though. He is not. Matchnell is a a similarly lanky, lean, not particularly strong flyweight. In fact, I haven't actually looked at their measurements. I suspect they're very similar. Schnell is 5'8". Schnell is 5'8". 5'8", yeah. So they are built on really similar lines. Schnell has a reach advantage. Yeah, in fact, Schnell has an inch and a half of reach. I mean, that is really what is made Schnell in the longer run as a UFC fighter who can stick around is that he is the rangy jabbing flyweight now. Yeah, I mean, it's also just the fact that Schnell, uh, uh, setting aside his um, chin, well, no, setting aside his uh, his, uh, first three UFC fights or whatever it was, when he just like lost two in a row really badly. Yeah. He hasn't had the courtesy to lose two in a row. <laughs> Cause he's, he lives and dies by the sword. Like yeah. Schnell is somebody who is actively being trained as a technical range boxer, mm-hmm. but who has the heart of a suicide bomber. Yes. He just wants blood and guts, really, and it it just takes him to see a little red, and it either works well or it 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 completely blows up in his face. Yep. Uh, I think Schnell could very easily have been cut from the UFC if he just if things had just gone wrong one more time. Be like, yeah. well, this guy's got a glass jaw. It's over. I mean, that Sumu Darji fight. Yeah, exactly. He was near death. Yeah. When he got that triangle choke. Yeah. Like, that is not a far cry from 
Schnell being gone. Yeah. Um, so that's the thing. Uh, I mean, I, I, I think Ursaig is actually just a better range boxer than Schnell. He's uh, certainly a more defensively nuanced range boxer. Schnell has a ton of speed and he's gotten some really good form on his punches for sure. But he Schnell is has a footwork. Yeah, yeah he, he's very much, though, like schooled in the Eddie Wineland school of boxing uh-huh, uh-huh. where you're like, yeah, OK, the footwork, there's some footwork there. There's some punching speed and power and form and everything comes from your nipples and your head never moves. The name of my debut album, Everything Comes From My Nipples. nipples yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you'd think if you were uh, as notably chinny as Machnell, you would at least like you'd, you'd you'd make him hold a tennis ball under his chin in the gym. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, he really does fight with his chin way up in the air. Yeah, and his hands like locked in that like Wineland pose. You know. Yeah, I'm not a guy who's like, hey, hands up equals good no. defense. No, but. uh if I'm Matt Schnell's people, I'm like hammering it into his head that like, hey, the right hand goes by your chin and the chin touches your chest. Yeah, their MMA defense. It, it's so hard because it actually does have to be a chain. You have to have a whole. Yeah, but that's seen? those aren't really techniques. That's just like principles. Like, no, at I least know you I can know. have those basic principles where that at least that, that's a thing you don't have to think about. Yeah, that does improve your survivability. I was going to say, you know, MMA defense is hard because there's a whole chain of things that you kind of have to think about and be doing all the time. Sure. But so often it seems like MMA fighters, like it is so the potential for complexity is so high there that fighters often just sort of like eh. they just throw away the whole thing like, eh, no. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's just that's yeah. just a th- those are two things. Keep your right hand by your chin. So it's ready to, to block hooks and catch jabs. Um, even you can even block right hands with your yeah. right with your right hand if you cross it over your face. That's certainly effective. Sean Strickland got a brief reputation as a great defensive striker in the UFC because he literally just has like one one tool he goes to all the time. He doesn't even put his chin down. He just keeps no. the right hand by his chin. Yeah, he just keeps the hands up and he parries. And like those two things yeah. are like, oh man, Sean Strickland doesn't get hit half as much as a lot of fighters. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like I would, at the very least, you would hope a guy like Chanel would just have yeah. the principled positional things that, again, you this is not active defense. You don't no. even have to be thinking about defense for these to still help you out. Yeah. Keep the chin behind your lead shoulder. Keep the right hand in position. Anyway. Um, Ursig is a more principled and I think a, a more nuanced range boxer than Schnell. Yeah. His, his lead hand is, is really very educated. Um, it's really, really tricky. And, uh, like just catching the timing of Ursig's jab, you saw in that Costa fight, it's a nightmare. Yep. Uh, he will take a step in. I mean, first of all, he'll start, he'll just step in and throw a jab real smooth. And then he'll take the step in and make you jump. And then the jab comes, you know, a quarter second after the initial movement. Uh, and then he does that and then he doubles it. And then he jabs you to the body. Like there's just a lot of complexity um, that you have to deal with the moment you cede that initiative to him. Yeah. 
And uh, because of that, it, he, he is just automatically better defensively because all of this work is happening from a very safe range where he's not overcommitting himself. Uh, but Chanel is a maniac. And as you said, he is yep. really fast. He is really lightning fast. His hands are really quick. And he's got a couple of great tricks that I love that, uh, you know, that he uses because he's not a real powerful, strong guy. That, like, you know, he'll do the standing guillotine where he will jump guard on when somebody Mm -hmm. tries to take him down and will wrap a leg over the shoulder while he's falling to his back so that the guillotine to triangle transition. Yes, it is beautiful yeah. and nobody does it and nobody does it nearly as well as he does it. Yep. And so there's craft and there's trickiness in there, there's speed, but I got to pick Urseg. Yeah. Fun fight. Yeah, Urseg is just he's he, he's not a a huge hitter. No, but he's accurate and really sets up his shots so well that I would not be at all surprised if he hurt Machnell or even finished him on the feet because it's yep. Machnell. And then, but, you, uh, know. you know, it's also possible that Schnell could just survive a few shots and see red and maybe just like I said, Costa sort of overwhelmed Urseg for a good chunk yeah. of the middle portion of that fight and Chanel can definitely overwhelm you if you're just not ready for somebody to go completely ape shit. Yeah. He can get really, really aggressive with those lightning quick hands. I'm taking Urseg as well though. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, cause even to talking about Chanel's crafty, like trick grappling, it is still grappling that usually ends up with him on his back. Yeah. It's so, anti-positional. Yeah. There are just a whole bunch of things that if Urseg can just stay safe, he yeah. will be win, probably in position to win a lot of this fight. Yeah. Great, over to minus. It's modern uh, modern MMA for you. Two fights in a row where I'm picking a guy because I'm so impressed with his lead hand. Yeah. Love it. Ersig open to minus 239. He's currently down to minus 346. Schnell opened at plus 208. He's currently at plus 289. So, you know, solid. Uh, Solid, solid line on on Ersig. I don't really have any problems with it. Uh, yeah. Could be a little narrower. I think we're still just a little bit in the in the honeymoon phase for Ersig, where for sure he's had a couple of big turn shows and he's getting a lot of hype from the rest of the from the booth and from the UFC. Yep. But uh, you know, I don't think that he is a prototypical flyweight athlete. He reminds me, you know, he could be more of like an Askar Askarov kind of guy where you know even Askar Askarov beat uh Joe Benavidez at some point yeah but when it really came to rubber meets broad for Askarov to be like a title contender he'd be Pantoja too actually and, and Tim Elliott he had a lot of good wins yeah but then there was also just that fight with Kai Car France where Car France just kind of shut him down and made him I still don't know why they got rid of Askarov, to be honest. Well, they didn't. Askarov. Did he just retire? He became, no, he became notable enough for uh, to to get a lot of money out of the ACA. Ah. Uh, uh. Like, he he just recently fought Alan Gomes in November of last year. In oh, the that's, ACA. Right. that's right. He just chose not to resign. Yeah. He, he said, oh, I want to retire 
due to health issues. <laughs> That's right. And uh, they were like, okay. And then they realized that I, then he realized that the UFC wouldn't actually cut him. Yeah. And so he came back and took another fight with Kai Kara France and lost it. That's right. And then secured his release to deal with his health issues, go get a contract from the ACA to fight at home for as much or more than the UFC would pay. Hey, I hope it's working out for him. Good for him. Yeah. Good, I, good fighter. I, we'll see the exact same thing happen to, uh, oh, who was the uh, lightweight with the facial tick? And uh, the good jab. Uh, Damiris Magulov. Damiris Magulov before long as well. Yeah. It also seemed like uh other guy, Mongolian guy, wanted to do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Zhalgashu Magulov. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's a little pipeline of uh Russian oligarch money. Yeah, guys who for... build up some cred in the UFC and then Yeah. And they can go back and fight at home for equal. Ah. Sorry. Sneezing a bit. Jesus anyway, Christ. I know. <laughs> ah. To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection main card and prelims UFC preview shows, the sixth round post-fight show, the Show Money podcast, and the MMA Depressed Us.